Hey guys, it's Allie. Welcome back to Infertile AF, the podcast. This is episode 215 called Roseanne. This podcast is sponsored by Receptiva DX. Receptiva DX is a powerful test that has helped thousands of women who have experienced recurrent pregnancy loss or IVF failure. The test helps detect inflammatory conditions of the uterus that might be preventing you from becoming pregnant or staying pregnant. The most common underlying condition of a positive Receptiva DX test is endometriosis with or without symptoms. If you or someone you know has struggled with IVF, Receptiva DX may give you the answer and treatment protocols that you're looking for. Talk with your doctor about Receptiva DX because the journey is so worth it. Plus, guys, Infertile AF listeners are getting $75 off the Receptiva DX test. So all you have to do is go to ReceptivaDX.com or download the app Receptiva DX. Use code InfertileAF23 and you'll get $75 off. Thanks, Receptiva DX. Before we get started, I just want to remind everybody to check out Fertility Rally, which is the community that if you're going through this journey, you need. These are your people. These are the people you can talk to about anything, the people who get it, the people who are going through all the shit that you're going through. So check us out. Our membership is open now. You can check us out on Instagram at Fertility Rally, or you can check out our website, which is fertilityrally.com. We are happy to invite you into the membership. If you have any questions, feel free to reach out to me, but we would love for you to join our fam and the worst club with the best members. Okay guys. So today's guest is Roseanne Austin. She's a master mindset coach. She's a fertility fairy godmother. She's the author of, am I the reason I'm not getting pregnant? And she's going to tell us all about going through seven years of failed fertility treatments. And then what happened when she decided she didn't want to go through treatments anymore. So it's a really interesting story. Spoiler alert is that she did have her son without assisted reproductive technology at 43 years old. She also runs a fearlessly fertile method. So she's going to talk about that and it's all just very interesting info. So without further ado, this is Roseanne's infertility story. Roseanne. Hello, my friend. Hello. Thank you so much for doing this. Yeah. Well, I'm super excited to be having this conversation with you. Me too. So let's talk about what you do. You're a master mindset coach. You're a fertility fairy godmother, (laughs) two-time bestselling author, all that good stuff. But I always like to start at the beginning and ask if you always wanted to be a mom. The answer to that is no, no. A lot of people say that actually. Yeah. And, you know, I always kind of saw myself, I mean, I I was a prosecutor. Uh, That was my profession before doing what I do now. And I was super career driven. I had a lot of ambition and I just kind of always saw myself as sort of on this path to achievement. And then I met my husband Mm -hmm. who turned I mean, he was the biggest monkey wrench in my program for world <laughs> domination um, that there was. And and it was interesting. I mean, I it it just really turned things around for me that I wanted more. I wanted more from my life. And and it was interesting because the kind of work that I was doing at the time, Allie, uh, was really consuming. And I found myself saying, 
is that all there is? Am I working all, you know, doing all of this? Like kind of what am I doing this for? Mm -hmm. How old were you when you met him? So I was 30. So we had been in each other's lives kind of on the periphery. So I was a prosecutor. He was a deputy sheriff and detective. So we kind of worked in the same sort of spheres. And it took us both a while to kind of get our act together. And so we had known each other for probably about, I'd say about four years, four or five Mm -hmm. years. I mean, it's kind of all of a blur now over the past 17 years, but it's just the minute, like we were both standing in the same place at the same time. I was like, all of this, I want all of this. Okay. I love that you just knew. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It's one of those things. Right. So flash forwarding a whole bunch, what happened when you guys started to try? Did you have any fertility issues growing up? Did you know, were you diagnosed with anything? Did you think it was going to be hard? Like, what did you know? Well, so I didn't know anything, frankly, which is bizarre. Like I didn't know anything about my fertility because it just, it wasn't something that was part of my life. Like I knew I got a period. I, you know, everything was normal And at the time we started trying, we had no reason to believe there would be a problem. So my husband's five years younger than me. And so I knew like he was young and everything. So I figured, ah, Mm -hmm. it's probably not him, but it was me. I was already in my mid Mm thirties and I had heard like, there's this cloud of, if you're trying to have a baby, you better have that baby before 40. Like Mm -hmm. there was this sort of folklore, this sort of specter over it. So kind of in the back of my mind, I wondered, would there be a problem at, you know, at my age, you know, because technically anyone over 35 is advanced maternal age. Geriatric, Roseanne. Geriatric, (laughs) you know, I was, you know, I was like a pterodactyl in the fertility world. Um, Totally. But I think I, I think that mind virus got into me. And so when we started trying, you know, the doctor just basically said, because I, you know, I was a lovably type A control freaky professional. I actually went and saw a doctor before we started trying to say, what should I do preconception? Right. Because I wanted to control this thing. I wanted to land that plane. Right. I wanted to make sure that this happened. And she was just saying, not, nah, you know, take your vitamins, watch your cycle, all of this stuff. And so what what started off as like a joyous thing turned into me trying to map my cycle with the precision of a lunar landing. And I just started really taking this on like I did everything else. And so it very much turned into a project really quick. Mm -hmm. And that's when the terror like really started to take over. Tell me about the terror. What happened? Like what were you going through mentally? Yeah, it was just, I probably the biggest thing was it brought me face to face with something I had never experienced before. This I could not control. I could not outwork this. And I was like, there's no direct correlation between how hard I was working with my fertility and the outcome. Mm-hmm. Like I was a trial attorney, Ali. Like, I mean, right. I was used you to- You know how to get shit done. <laughs> I know how to get shit done. I, I also know. know how to call 13 witnesses in a day deal with the secret service, like all of this. Right. And I think it's so interesting that you point that out. And we talk about that all the time in our fertility rally groups and things, you know, is when 
there's no direct correlation between how hard you work and how much you pour into this and the outcome. I mean, it's just totally out of your control. And I think for so many people who are motivated and ambitious and career driven like you and like me and like so many people listening, you know, it's, you're like, how is this even a thing? It's hard to wrap your head around the fact that you're not getting good results because all your life, if you've worked hard at something, you've achieved success. Right. Right. So this was extraordinarily humbling to me. Not like I had this overblown ego because I always, I was used to working hard, Ali. I w- it, there was this was not a question of whether or not I was I was going to put in the work. It was absolutely the correlation. So after about six months, when things weren't quite showing up the way that in my mind I had so carefully planned, I did I, I went nuclear. So as a problem solver, I went from trying to conceive naturally to we need to see a reproductive endocrinologist stat. I don't care what it costs. I don't care where they are. And I went and I was shocked. The first answer was IVF. There was no intermediary. It was from zero to high stimulation. Like you're doing this right now because if you don't, you're going to need a donor egg. Wow. That's like yeah. zero to 60. Yeah. No, no. It was full on fear mongering. Like, and mm. and because I was already in fear, I bought it. I like went in there. I was like, I'm ready. You know, it, it was, it was fairly like when I, I have a lot of compassion for that version of myself because I was terrorized. You know, I was basically here I am in love with this amazing man. He's younger than me. What if he finds somebody younger and more fertile? I have totally robbed him of the chance of being a dad because I am the selfish old bird that like had the audacity to marry him and expect him to stick around. I mean, it was this horrendous uh, internal monologue of self-loathing that that really took over my life. So I started making very poor choices from fear. This episode is brought to you by Vegamore. I'm always trying to do right by my body. So when it comes to my hair and scalp health, finding a product that actually works and is made with clean ingredients always seems like a trade-off. But with Vegamore, I get products that are made with clean ingredients and give me visibly healthy hair and scalp. With Vegamore, I am able to have noticeably thicker, fuller, shinier, longer hair, all without the harsh ingredients. Every cute pink bottle of Vegamore products are 100% cruelty-free and are never formulated with potentially harmful chemicals like parabens or hormones. Okay, so I got my box of Vegamore products and I've been using them all for the past month. The shampoo, the conditioner, the grow hair serum, the hair foam, the eyelash serum, the eyebrow serum. It's been about a month, like I said, and my hair really does feel stronger and thicker. Everything looks better. And the shampoo in particular, I have to say, smells really good. The key is consistency in your routine for your most beautiful, healthy-looking hair. I use Vegamore Grow Hair Serum daily, and my hair and scalp are feeling better than ever. Here's another cool thing. Vegamore has these great value kits, like the Grow Essentials Kit, where you get to try more than one amazing product at a time at great savings. So when you sign up for a monthly subscription, you save more, and you never run low on the products that you need. And fun fact, guys, Vegamore sells one bottle of the Grow Hair Serum every 15 seconds on their website. That's how good this stuff is. So here is the deal, my beautiful listeners. 
For a limited time, you can get 20% off your first order by going to vegamore.com slash infertileaf and using code infertileaf at checkout. That's V-E-G-A-M-O-U-R.com slash infertileaf, code infertileaf to save 20% on your first order. V-E-G-A-M-O-U-R.com slash infertileaf, code infertileaf. Thanks, Vegamore. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. And after our first IVF cycle failed, which it absolutely to this day does not surprise me that it would. Okay. After that failed, I would, I remember being in the waiting room, you know, when you have the kind of what my husband and I like to call the post-mortem with the physician. Yeah. We call it the WTF appointment. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, it was like, what didn't work here? The answer was, look at your age. Your option is a donor egg. And I remember sitting there catatonic, like literally, mm. like kind of yeah. like, because I, I was like, I'm not ready to give up on my body. Are you kidding me? Are you, are you like, and it wasn't an ego thing. It was just, she may as well have given me some terminal diagnosis at the same time. Yeah. Well, you're probably thinking, isn't there anything else we can do or try? Yeah. Yeah. And it was just donor egg. And I was just like, no. And then my, like, so we just kind of left there in a daze which then catapulted me down a rabbit hole of spending the next years like looking for anything that could possibly help me from acupuncture, herbs, steaming my vagina, faith healers, psychics, past life regression, boiling black chickens, I was making weekly trips from Sonoma County in California all the way down to San Francisco's Chinatown. Yes. And in my books, I describe running into this poultry shop. Nobody spoke English in my Manolo Blahniks, carrying this warm bag of a freshly killed bird and taking it back to my car and driving back up to Sonoma County to boil it because I thought that was going to get me pregnant. I'm so with you. I didn't do that exact same thing, but I tried all the things. Like I was like the herbs and the psychic and the magic wish papers. And I I couldn't, and, and it also started me down the road of living a double life. Like I was literally living a double life. It was like Batman and Bruce Wayne. And I didn't know which I was at any given time. Like you, it, you could just, you know, it was anyone's guess. Because around this time, I was also prosecuting sexual assault cases. Okay. So, so nobody really knew what you were going through oh, behind the scenes. No, 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 no. And the reason was twofold. One, there's no crying in law. If anyone sees a chink in your armor, they will begin to swarm like sharks. You cannot show any sort of weakness. So my ability to like express what I was going through, there was no, zero, zero. That whole part of my life was completely shut down. And the second reason 
I didn't talk about this is it would cost me promotions. It would cost me advancement in my career. And I had worked so hard. If anyone even smelled that I was trying to get pregnant in the background, I wouldn't get the high profile cases. I wouldn't get the, you know, the plum assignment that I'd worked so hard for because they were anticipating I go out on maternity leave. Mm-hmm. I've talked to so many people in your position, like in a high profile position where they had to keep it a secret for fear of exactly what you just said, not getting the promotion or not getting the assignment or not getting the case or, you know, all that stuff. And it sucks that as women, we have to go through all that. Yeah. Well, and it's interesting because I, you know, at the time there was a woman running my office, which was crazy because you'd think that there would be some compassion for that. And, and, and it wasn't just me. All of the other female prosecutors, like I knew that there were at least two other women that were struggling with fertility and I didn't know, they didn't tell me it was the rumor mill, which I hate anyway, but like you just hear whispering. And I was like, if we could just talk about this, then we wouldn't have to live in so much shame about this. And we wouldn't, I mean, and it was funny because whenever I'd take time off of work to go to my appointments, which were now in San Francisco, which is about a 90 minute drive from where I was, I was going multiple times a week. People thought I was dying, but they wouldn't ask because they couldn't. Right, right, right. And then I was like, I'm, you know, I would rather tell them that I was dying than, than give them the truth about what I was actually going through. Mm -hmm. Because the other thing is in that profession, you know, I was prosecuting sexual assault cases. So child and adult sexual assault. So you see day in and day out, these children being abused and you're like, these people have kids. I don't, how is this even possible? Right. And so there was just this, I mean, it was a really crazy crazy time. Yeah. Kind of a mind fuck too. Right. Where it's like, how? Yeah. Yeah. It, and it was like, you know, it took, and this is why like the untrained mind will go to really dark places because who the hell was I to compare myself with somebody that was coming into the courtroom? I don't know their story. It, you know, fertility just wasn't their, their thing, right? It wasn't their challenge in this life, but I was so miserable inside I was so in this place of I'm not enough. Look at me, look at my wretched, you know, kind of the way that I'm living right now, that it's easy to fall into things like fear, the doubt, negativity, comparison, future tripping, like all of the things that distract us from the one thing that we, you know, can reasonably focus on. And that's now. That's the only thing that's happening is right now. Everything else is a fiction in either direction. And so it progressed to us doing more and more treatments. But what was interesting is as I kind of, you know, did all of these crazy things and, you know, my husband is an amazing guy. He's very patient. He would go with me. He would try to stifle his laughter, but then he would just like go through it because he loved me. But there was a point when after multiple failed rounds of IVF, I don't even know how many anymore. So what was happening? Can we talk about the rounds? Like was, what was going on with your body? Like, what were you, did you ever get a diagnosis? Was it unexplained infertility or completely unexplained? And I was given the song and dance of I'm old. Hmm. That was the only thing. And what I've come to know after so many years is that's because they just actually don't know. 
they don't know what's going on. Mm-hmm. And it's anybody's guess at any given time. So they never found uh, anything specific right. with either of us. Was it like an egg quality issue though? Cause I mean, there is, you know, obviously there's been things proven that as you get older, you know, the quality goes down and all that stuff. I mean, maybe, but you know, that was never really, I mean, nobody ever approached it as if that was an issue. It was mm-hmm. just not working. And, you know, I remember my last retrieval, they got 17 eggs. So I guess, you know, maybe it's a, it was a potentially quality thing, but no, I mean, our embryos look good. Okay. So I'm not even sure it was that. And so yeah. how are you feeling like emotionally with all these different rounds and things not working? Like, wh- how are you doing? So at that point, that's when I started to ask some questions. So I was doing all the the diets and, you know, gluten hadn't passed my lips in years. I wasn't drinking coffee. I wasn't having any alcohol. I mean, it was the extreme. I was doing all the acupuncture and, you know, at that point I had to start looking around. So I put my logic cap on and I said, okay, I have a puritanical diet. There's like, this is the epitome of the perfect diet. I am not sparing any expense. If Mm -hmm. if I need a treatment, I will go have the treatment. Mm -hmm. I was taking baths, Allie, in borax. It was like a combination of borax, uh, baking soda and like, Oh my God. I've not heard about that one. Borax. That's kind of harsh, isn't it? It there's this mineral bath put together and it's supposed to draw out toxins. I was literally going from the courtroom to my, one of my best friend's house that wasn't far away at my lunch hour, go bathe and sweat, clean myself up, get back into court by one 30 for a hearing. So this is how how far I had gone and how much this had taken over my life. But what I started to look at was the piece I hadn't covered. And that was what was going on in my mind. Because I had to look around. I'm like, it's not my diet. I mean, I've had like so many people look at my diet. It's certainly not the treatment because I'm being treated at a top 10 teaching hospital. I have professors looking at me and my uterus. You know, I had to, you know, it wasn't the supplements because I was taking all 400 supplements that anything people would throw my way, I would buy it. And I did it. So it wasn't anything external. I had to look at me. And that was probably the hardest part Mm -hmm. because when I started looking at the way I was thinking and the way I perceived myself, the way I perceived this journey, the way that I perceived other people, it was warped. It was so laden with stories and nonsense and negativity that I'm like, it doesn't surprise me that none of this stuff is working. Oh, wow. So this is where your master mindset coaching comes into play, right? So what were you, what, how did you change that mindset? Like, what did you do specifically? Well, so first of all, I was a skeptic. Okay. Like I was a trial attorney. I wasn't somebody that was out hugging trees. I was not open to this. Uh, Therapy was for the weak. You know, I'm just giving you the truth. This is what was going on for me. So I needed something. So I started reading books. How does the brain work? What are things people do to change their thoughts? Because I had these intrusive thoughts 
Like I'd be trying a case and all I could think of is you're completely worthless. Did this cycle work? Am I going to get my period? So I'd be, you know, oh, wow. I'd be, like it was just all I would think about. So from a mm-hmm. practical standpoint, I was like, okay, what do I need to do? So I started reading different things mm-hmm. and I said, holy shit, you, what? You can change your mindset. What mom and dad raised you with is just one perspective. It's not the truth, right? And I'm like, oh, you know, so all of these internal paradigms I had started to, you know, get shaken up. So then I started to read and I started to go to seminars and I started to look into this. And I was like, I have been living in a matrix that I had no idea even existed. So it was very interesting. And there, at the time I was going through all this, there was nobody talking to women like me in this way because I was absolutely not receptive. Absolutely not. There was nobody out there speaking to lovably type A control freaky professional women in a way that I could hear it. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. Because like, okay, yeah, you want me to get in touch with my spirit baby. I'm like, spirit baby, what the fuck is that? You know, like, so I I couldn't hear that. So this is why I <laughs> like, I, I kind of, I started looking for things that I could take in from where I was at. Because if you were going to try to get me to go woo woo, I would be no, no. Okay. Like they're just not going to happen. I mean, <laughs> I'm woo woo AF today but mm-hmm. that's because it was a progression. I, I wasn't you know, and the other thing about that is I, you know, I grew up in a fairly religious family, but I didn't have any individual of my own choosing connection with a higher power. Like I was going through this journey kind of basically zero connection to that. Mm-hmm. And so, so many things started to, to open up for me because, you know, like what's, how do you bridge the gap between where you are today and where you want to be? It's faith, whatever that is for somebody, you know, like it comes in many forms. People can, you know, rock on with them, their bad selves about however they choose to, to look at that. It's beautiful. But what I did specifically is begin to educate myself about how the brain works, how much license and agency I had in choosing my beliefs and choosing my thoughts in choosing what I choose to interpret something. I mean, one of the most powerful things a woman can do as she's moving through this journey is decide what anything means. She gets to decide, you know, just because a a pregnancy test is negative does not mean you aren't having a baby. And I didn't know that. It sounds insane. Mm -hmm. But at the time, I did not know that. Mm -hmm. It is but one result in a constellation of results that you get over time. But every negative pregnancy test that I got, I perceived as more evidence it wasn't happening. Yeah. I mean, I think that's very common. And I'm sure there's so many people listening who can relate to that bit where you do start to go down that spiral of like, it's not happening. It's not going to happen. So I guess the question is, you know, for people who are listening and are like, oh, easier said than done. How do you actually do it though? You know, like how did you actually do that mindset shift? Because I think it's hard, especially when you're feeling depressed and you've got PTSD and all that stuff. So for people listening that might be feeling really low or like skeptical, like how do you 
what action items would you give them? Like, what are some just, you know, right. things that they can do to, to start to turn in that direction? Right. Well, it isn't easy and it starts with a decision. So I had to make a decision. I had to make a decision that I was going to be in control of my emotions. My emotions were not going to be in control of me. And, and that was, it certainly wasn't easy, but what other choice did I have if I wanted to be successful? Really? Mm -hmm. I didn't have any other choice. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, I could lay on the floor and feel sorry for myself all day and then not make the choices I needed to make to move forward, not take my supplements, not try the next cycle, not try to find additional solutions. I could do that if I wanted, but I wanted my baby more than I wanted my fear. So number one, make a decision that this is going to change. Number two, I also had to make a decision that I was going to live from the inside out because the reason why I was in such a bad place is I was allowing circumstances outside of me to decide what I believed. And so, and that is not what we're trained to do. We are trained to think, okay, if they give me a statistic, which did not include you and may not even take in your uniqueness at all. But we take that as law. We take the statistics as verdicts and they're not unless you make them so. Mm -hmm. So you've got to start deciding that. And I say this all the time, but it's I say it because it's true. It's not just cute. It's the desire in your heart to be a mom. It's there because it was meant for you. How that unfolds is anyone's guess. But if you desire it, it there must be a way. There must there must be a way. You have to love yourself and love the dream enough to actually believe that if the desire is there, there will be a way. Mm -hmm. So you had seven years of these failed treatments, right? So was this kind of the point where you started, things started to change and like what ended yes. up happening? I know that spoiler alert, you did, you know, have your son naturally. So tell me how you got to that point. Well, so on our last, so about three weeks before we had our last transfer with our last embryos, I had been well into this work. I had started to change the way that I think. I made the decision. I started living from the inside out, which was really hard for me because I was like, you know, facts, I'm logical, I'm linear, but it's like, what's not logical about believing in yourself? Just because you can't see it doesn't mean it's not happening. Mm -hmm. So I really conditioned that within myself. And so that about three weeks before our transfer, I just started making the decision that it would work. I was like, yep, this is going to work. I am available for this. I am open for this. I am not going to allow my self-esteem to be hijacked by the result. So, so interesting. You're yeah, like, it's going to work. It's going to work. And it did. With our last embryos. Mm -hmm. Now, I did not carry that pregnancy to term. What it did do was, at, you know, I had made that shift in my mind. It was the, the first positive thing I had seen on this journey. Mm. And I said, okay, I have a choice. I can either let this take me down or I'm going to take this mofo and run. And I made a decision to take it and run. Mm -hmm. I took that miscarriage as proof that it was possible for me and I wasn't going to stop. Now, I stopped treatment. Because I'm like, you know what? The treatment, I'm actually not afraid anymore about not doing treatment. I'm going to trust myself. I can do this. 
I don't mm. look my age. I don't feel my age. Mm-hmm. I know I'm healthy. I'm done with treatment. Okay. And so then we we started our regular routine of going back to trying naturally. And two year, two and a half years later, shortly before my 43rd birthday, I was pregnant naturally with my son Asher. Wow. Okay. So tell me about those two and a half years. Was that a long two and a half years for no, you? Or- no, actually it was some of the, two of the most joyous years of my life because at that point I was like, okay, there is something to this mind thing and I'm going to teach it to anyone who will listen. I don't know who's going to listen to a prosecutor about this stuff. I don't have MD after my name. It's JD, but I know this worked for me. This changed my life. So then I started teaching other women what I had learned and mm-hmm. my clients were getting pregnant left and right. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh yeah, I'm like, more women need to hear about this. And it was funny because there were so many of my clients and I that were pregnant at the same time. And it was the most beautiful thing ever. And I'm like, see, you know, they told me this would never happen for me. Like medicine had given up on me, but I'm so glad I didn't. Mm-hmm. Because it, it was funny. I ended up being more fertile in my 40s than I was in my 30s. Wow. So been- is this part of your like fearlessly fertile method? Can you tell us a little bit about that? What does that entail? Yeah. So what I do is I walk women through an eight-week process where you're going to learn to think, believe, take action like a woman who succeeds on this journey. Everything that I learned over the past eight plus years of coaching women to fertility success, I've condensed down into eight weeks because who has time? What took me all of those years to figure out, we condense into eight weeks. And it's it's just, I mean, this week on my podcast, um, we talk about one of the women that went through the program. I mean, she did 10 IVF cycles, transferred 15 embryos, and was not having success. And then she does this and then like, it's crazy. Like wow. it's crazy, mm-hmm. but, but it's because, I mean, the bottom line here is that the mind and body work together, right? Mm-hmm. You know, if, if your mind isn't on board, that's like driving with one foot on the gas and one foot on the brake. And when you're super committed to something, you, you want to cover your bases. And this is the piece that gets missed. So that's what my work is about. That's what the podcast is about. It's what my three books are about, you know, is really just sharing with other women, like you have more power than you think. I mean, when you, when I see a 52 year old woman coming into my practice, getting pregnant, I'm like, Hey, you know, you know, anything is possible. Like Mm -hmm. anything is possible. Yeah. And so Yeah. So that's what the work is about. Okay. I know one of the other things that you are really expert in talking about is like reducing stress during one's fertility journey. And I know that that is a big hot button issue for so many people. It's obviously so stressful and sad and all the things. So what would be your tips in terms of that? So first of all, I always encourage women, like two things can be true at the same time, right? Two things can be true. You can be sad about an outcome and you can be committed to the to what's to come. So you can allow these two things to coexist. Honor it, right? Don't pretend. I mean a lot of people have a misconception about mindset as being 
Pollyanna, toxic positivity. It's kind of the opposite because I, I don't teach positivity. I teach you how to think mm, and it's mm-hmm. not positive all the time. Yeah. That's a right? good distinction. Mm-hmm. You know, you learn how to think, you know, positivity, you know, some people presume that that includes denial and it's not. If you really want to have the kind of resilience that takes you from where you are today to where you want to be, you have to acknowledge reality, right? You have to acknowledge it. So, you know, in the moments where you're sad, be sad, but also remember you are in control. I always tell my clients, set a timer on your phone for two minutes, be sad AF, be the (laughs) miserable, miserable, sad that you want to be. And we do three minutes. <laughs> hey, hey, if somebody wants, I, do it all day. Right. Do it all day, but yeah. acknowledge that as a sentient thinking being, mm-hmm. that you can take control over your emotions. Then you have the resilience to get back up. And it's also about building trust, Allie. Like if you can say, look, I get to be sad and I get to be excited, you'll trust yourself more because you're not siloing your feelings, you're allowing them, and then you're marshalling them like an intelligent human being and making room for both. And when you do that, you can also have more compassion for other people in their moment, right? Mm -hmm. So it's like, I think that's one of the most powerful things. And like I said before, you decide what something means. You get to decide. You may have friends and family saying, what, you're doing a fifth round of IVF? You know, as if you should give up. Right. You know, it's like, don't take advice about when you should give up from people that have never tried. Right. Unless those people have been through that. I don't know if they get a vote. They can love you and they can get, you know, you know, their intentions are good. But this journey is unique. It hits you on so many different levels that very few people can truly understand that, you know, you have a right to try. Right. Like, why not? So it's like, as long as you are good within you, you're great. When anyone Yeah, says you don't outside, need to answer to anybody else. We talk about that a lot too. It's like, it's none of their beeswax. Yeah. You know, like it's literally you do you. Yeah. Whoever's listening, you do you. And people Absolutely. say some stupid shit and sometimes it's hurtful too. But, you know, you just have to be true to your, your head and your heart and, you know, give yourself grace and all those things. It's just, you know, and it, it, they just don't know. And, and that's okay. You know, because in the end, we take care of ourselves. You know, you can you can begin to cultivate your own community, which you have, and you decide who you surround yourself with, right? And so, and that's another thing that you know, if if women are are really looking to bolster their resilience and to be, you know, have the kind of tenacity that it takes to get to the other side of this. Like you got to pick your bump squad is what we call it in my world. Your bump squad, you want to pick your bump squad with a lot of discernment and, and be around people who know what it's like to go for a dream, right? Because that's what you're doing. And at the end of the day, you know, everyone else gets to go home, Allie. Everyone else gets to go home. You have to live with yourself.
thank you so much for listening guys and thank you so much to Roseanne Austin definitely check out her website which is from maybe to baby.com and all the other info is going to be in the show notes so you can check it out there also make sure you check out fertility rally membership we're open right now everybody is welcome we also have rally guys and our next guys group is going to be April 4th so it's hosted by guys and guy members and it's going to be amazing so check us out as always reach out to me if you have any questions and thank you guys so much for listening I'll talk to you next time This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.